Welcome to the PokePress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. This episode has two segments. The first is a discussion of the ending themes of the sixth Pokemon movie, Jirachi Wishmaker. Anne from Big B Podcast helps me sort out some of the differences between the similar Japanese and English songs. For the second segment, we have a pair of interviews from North American Internationals 2017. Find out what strategies were used by some of the top TCG players at the event. Thanks. Hi, I'm Stephen Reich here at the PokePress Studios in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm on the phone with Anne from PQP Podcast. And uh, after doing a couple, I guess you could say, filler episodes, we're finally on to Movie 6, Jirachi Wishmaker, or Wishing Star of Seven Nights. And uh, we're going to be discussing those uh, that movie and its ending themes, which are a little bit different this time, because on the Japanese side you have a small thing, and on the English side you have Make a Wish. However, usually it's a completely different song, but uh, in this case, Make-A-Wish isn't a translation, a direct translation of a small thing, but it does use the same backing melody. And we're going to talk about the sort of artists, what we know about the production on each side. And we're also going to go through this short and do some of the other things we usually do. So it'll have a similar structure, but obviously the content is going to be a little different because of the song that was used. So we're going to start off on the Japanese side, since this was a Japanese song to begin with. And uh, why don't you tell us about Asuka Hayashi, the uh, the young woman who performs this song in Japan. You bet. Okay, so Asuka Hayashi, she kind of came up during the early 2000s. And like a lot of uh, just the typical pop artist path, she was really popular for a couple of years. Um, it looks like she was very active between 2003 and 2005. And then kind of sort of petered off and, you know, went into other pursuits. Um, but yeah, during 2003 to 2005, she put out three albums, a whole bunch of singles, some DVDs. She did a lot of concerts. There is a single she put out in 2007 and then did a sort of compilation album in 2013. But other than that, she's not been really active recently. Um, she's kind of known for her pop music and also some R&B, especially kind of towards the end of her career. And, and she's kind of really known for her voice. It was just very talented. She was able to do a lot of things and uh, studied Chinese, actually, for a number of years. And so was able to collaborate with uh, some Chinese artists and record songs in both Japanese and Chinese as well. And we talk about how it's interesting that a small thing and make a wish – you know, they're very similar, different lyrics, but the same backing tracks. The B-side to uh, A Small Thing, Chisakimono, is... Hang on, I have to pull it up real quick. Uh, but it's... Well, it translates to I Want to Be a Sparrow. And that song has a Chinese translated version or a Chinese version in the same way that A Small Thing has an English version in Make a Wish. So I just thought that was a cute little connection. Yeah, funny little path going from one song to the other, I suppose. You did mention that she sort of faded. Do you think she just kind of lost popularity? Is there a particular reason? Do you think she wasn't keeping up with, with tastes? Or, I mean, we talked, of course, in our 
uh, a couple episodes ago about perfume, which has managed to yeah. have a slow start, but managed to keep uh, staying popular for you know eight or nine years now. I guess you could say. Uh, what do you think happened with Fasuka? Um, well, it's hard to say without you know having more info on her, especially more English info. But in Japan, with like you know the pop music industry is huge, the competition is fierce. And a lot of them that get into that industry kind of expect that they're only going to be act like really active for a, a short amount of time unless they want to be like Speed or, you know, Nami Amaro or something. Uh, and like I said, that's kind of what makes Perfume an anomaly. It's like they should have been out like five years ago, but they're not. So I think with, um, Asuka Hayashi, it's, it's kind of that thing of like, you know, for a couple years, she was really popular. And then, you know, you stop being young and cute. You start maybe wanting to go to college. And so I think it's probably a combination of a lot of things. Like probably she did start to just not be in the public eye so much. She's probably started to maybe lose some of her fan base that was kind of just into it for the next new thing. Like it just in the same way that the pop music trended that way, just, you know, started to go on the decline and decided she was done is what I'm guessing. I don't think it was a sense that she failed because she is still very lauded among her fan base that still listens to her old stuff. But by all accounts, she she's married to uh, an Olympic uh, judo uh, fighter I, and, and they have a son. So by all accounts, she's happily married and you know, it doesn't seem that she has any regrets. So it probably really just was she probably wasn't expecting to be like Hamasaki Ayumi and go forever. Well, at least, you know, if this were the American version of a story like that, it might have had a, a more tragic ending. It sounds like she's doing okay, though. Yeah, like, it doesn't sound like there was a scandal or anything and she had to leave. It sounds like 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 it's, an, it's a very clean break after 2005. It sounds like she she did what she wanted to do with her singing career and <laughs> moved on, I guess. <laughs> well, hope she put some money in the bank. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the royalties still coming in. Um, so that's kind of the story there. What were some of her other songs in that period that might have been, you know, they never broke over here for kind of obvious reasons, but that were popular, I guess, on the radio in Japan or whatever? Um, well, she has one called Sanctuary that I really love. Um, Sanctuary Yume no Shima-e, Going to Dream Island. And it's kind of the same sort of very soothing ballad, powerful vocals type song. She had a song that was, let's see, I think it was Snowdrop that was quite famous. And I think it got played on a lot of like, um, Uta no Hi sort of programs, those, those summer and like the summer concerts and things. Um, a song called Kokoro no Mamini Unchanging Heart that also, again, is another ballad, but well, not ballad, but sort of power song, um, that's gotten a lot of accolades. Um, that was the one she released in 2007. So it kind of, kind of has a bit more maturity behind it. So I like that for it. Um, I would be very interested, uh, if we have any listeners who are up on the Chinese fandom or listening in China, if the Chinese version of I Want to Become a Swallow, uh, Tsubame ni Naitai, I can't pronounce it in Chinese, um, but I'd like to know, like, what sort of reach it has in China, because she does have a very big, uh, China and Hong Kong fan base. And I'd like, yeah, if any of you are up on that, I'd really like to know what kind of a name she has over on that side of the continent. 
All right. Well, that that gives us a frame of reference on Asuka herself. What about a small thing? Who wrote that, and uh, and what have they uh, also done? Um, okay, so it was the lyrics were written by Miraya Yoshiko, um, and then it was the composer and arranger were uh, Yama. Oh my goodness, Yamautsuri Takahiro, and he. There's not much on him that I can find. He appears to be just a. a producer at the EMI Japan label, which was known as, as uh, Toshiba Emi at the time, or Toshiba EMI. Um, but Mira Yoshiko, a lot of anime fans will know her, or or at least will know her work, because she did a lot of songs for, like, Digimon, and um, she ha- she's prominently featured on the Digimon Adventure Song and Music Collection. She did a lot of uh, songwriting for... Hello Project. It, it looks like a lot of different singers and idol groups. I'm trying to look at some of the names down here and see if anybody would be very familiar with them. Oda Tomo, Ongaku Gatas, Smilage. Uh, so yeah, a lot of young up and coming idol groups, cute. Ciao Bella Cinquetti. Like she's, she's done a lot of songs that probably made their way into your various anime projects and songs that of the young idol groups coming up. She seems to be known for a lot of very cute young, young women type artists. Gotcha there. Well, let's flip back over to the English side. Again, it's, it's not totally dissimilar, but it is a, a different, uh, song. Um, but uh, make a wish. So first off, the performer is Cindy Mizell. This uh, Cindy has been massively prolific. You've heard her other places, but you probably don't know it. She had mm-hmm. a self-titled album of her own work back in '94, but she's much better known as a background singer in the like '80s, '90s, 2000s, a little bit today, I would assume as as well. But uh, one of the the biggest things he was a background singer for was the Duran Duran album Notorious that came out back in the mid-80s. Aside from that, she's also worked with, I believe, Bruce Springsteen, Mick Jagger, uh, Luther Vandross, let's see, Ruben Studdard. So I don't know if there are any female backing vocals on his version of Flying Without Wings, so that would be interesting. And a, a number, I think Aretha Franklin was on her all music thing. And as I was digging through there, I noticed she is listed as being on To Be a Master. And indeed, I, I did not know this at first, but I looked through the liner notes before we started this discussion, and she did backing vocals for You Can Do It If You Really Try, the uh, John Leffler song at the very end of the album there. So this is not her first Pokemon thing. And she's originally from New Jersey, so I would suspect that John must have known her from, uh, she must have done some advertising work with him, because that's where a lot of the To Be A Master performers came from. They were folks that uh, John Leffler knew from some of his uh, advertising uh, work and recording there. And that eventually, of course, led to this. So, very accomplished singer, but most of the time she's not the featured artist. So it was kind of interesting to have her uh, perform here. Now, as far as writing, uh, the English version song, which, again, is not a direct translation, we'll talk about that in a little bit, uh, it was done by Norman Grossfeld, one of the, the key guys in the Four Kids era over uh, in the Pokemon dub, so not a total surprise there. I, I wish we knew more about how they uh, went through 
reusing this song, how they were able to clear the rights for it, because that must have been not super easy by any means. Um, yeah, I think yeah. That, uh, it it can be very difficult to clear a song to be rewritten like this. So uh, I'm pretty glad that they did because I, this is one of my favorite ending songs to any Pokemon movie ever. But um, unfortunately, we just don't know a ton about any of the logistics that went in on that end. So you know, we've sort of talked about a little bit about the production, but uh, since the same backing is used on both sides, let's talk about that as sort of one thing. It's got a, a very nice orchestra behind it. It's got a very um, sort of, uh, I don't know if dramatic is the right word, flow to it, but it's definitely got a flow to it. Was that your impression as well, Anne? Yeah, and it definitely builds in its drama towards, like, the bridge and everything. It's very pleasing and peaks in all the right places. (laughs) Yeah, it it lends itself to being a very uh, vocals-focused song, and uh, at least going by the English lyrics, I think they did a very good job there. And speaking of lyrics, let's sort of talk, what is the the Japanese version of the song, A Small Thing? What is that about? Um, Well, it's about somebody who's looking back on their life, basically, and they're looking back in kind of the metaphor of, like, watching a small child sleeping. Um, That's kind of the first verse, and realizing that it used to be them who was so small and so helpless and couldn't do anything. And they're thinking back about, you know, before they learned to swim and when nightmares bothered them and, you know, before they learned to sing. And now these things are not a problem for them. And realizing that that small thing they used to be grew into a future that they, they're they very satisfied with. So it's kind of, it's kind of reflective, really, and kind of empowering, like, the things that bother them now as an adult, like, you know, they look to the sky and they hear those voices of the past and they know where they need to go and they know it's going to be okay because however small they fear, they feel now, one day they will be grown and they, they'll fly up to where they need to go. So it's, it's kind of a reach to compare it to this movie, but. <laughs> I suppose if, like, Norman or Caroline were somehow involved in part of it, maybe that would make more sense. Going from May to Max, you know, Haruka to Masato doesn't doesn't quite do it. They're only a few years apart, so I'm sure that, you know, May can see some of that. Or, you know, more recently, I'm oh, sure well, that... Oh, it's uh, not... <laughs> Sorry, let me rephrase. It's not looking at a, an actual small child sleeping. It's It's kind of reflecting on their past sort of thing. Mm. But okay. so it, in that sense, it could very well be May or or an Ash or a Brock type character. It could be a uh, a butler even, I suppose, of like that feeling of just looking back at the person you used to be and not feeling like like feeling that you were so small at that time, you couldn't have been yourself. But realizing, you know, no, that was me. I just grew up kind of a feel. Hmm. But it, again, it is a bit of a reach for for our title character, Jirachi. So. Well, technically, Jirachi is, I guess, thousands of years old because it only yeah. wakes up every thousand years. Yeah, we didn't see its character development, but surely it had some in its life. Yeah, they don't really establish how many cycles Jirachi has gone through over history. Right. 
and then it's only awake for seven days, as as the the title sort of implies there. So I I mean, like I said, it, it is kind of hard to draw a line with the characters in this movie. Like even if you try to draw something from like Jirachi to Max, it doesn't really work because Jirachi still has a very childlike personality, which for small legendary yeah. Pokemon isn't totally unheard of, but. Like I said, the comparison doesn't doesn't quite work. It, and I suppose in a way, it maybe is pulling a few of the same things as the fourth movie Japanese ending. Uh, mm-hmm. let, please let there be good weather tomorrow, and that it's reflective like that. Is, does that sound like there might be a little bit of commonality there? Definitely, definitely. Like the best tie I can make to this movie is like our default character, which is it must be about Ash and. He's not who he used to be. He like he is he is markedly different in this movie than he is in say season one. But uh, again, it's it seems to be kind of more general, reflective, and very much in in tune with uh, movie movie four. Please let there be good weather. Than anything to do with specifically the events of Jirachi Wishmaker. So, if we compare that, as as you, if you're familiar with the English version, you've obviously noticed by now that the English version is not a direct translation, as we've mentioned earlier in this episode, and uh, it has some somewhat different themes. It, it focuses much more on the wish aspect. There is sort of the thing about you know growing and becoming a more I don't know successful isn't really the right word, but more. <sighs> developed person, I suppose, developed character is still sort of present in this one because it sort of mm. talks about the it's 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 sort of to be honest, it's kind of the reverse perspective because it's sort of talking at the beginning, you know, fly a rocket to the it's talking about all the things that, you know, if you put your mind to it, things you can accomplish in your lifetime going forward. Right. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. Um, kind of perspective. So these, these songs are kind of reverses of each other in a way, which is something, like I said, if you, if I hadn't got, asked you about this and we hadn't done a series, I would not have known. Yeah. It's kind of cool though that they, they seem so similar in like musicality because again, because they are the same, but to have them like just come from completely different angles is kind of a neat thing. Like an interesting opportunity, I think. Yeah, yeah, and and of course it focuses on the wish aspect, and, and from the, pers- the perspective of someone who is young and looking towards their future, that kind of makes sense. And it, it says on in Make a Wish that you know you can sort of set uh, goals for yourself uh, in the future, but in the end, you're the person who has to has to do that. Watch your dreams come true. You don't need a shooting star. The magic's right there in your heart. So it, it's, it's saying that. You can make your own wishes come true if you work hard enough at them. Mm-hmm. Which, which is a theme of the movie. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah, because we have Jirachi, you know, in the beginning, you know, I know Max wishes for candy, and they sort of, it, it's sort of a, a false granting of that wish, because what happens, of course, is that Jirachi starts teleporting it from around the festival or carnival or whatever and the the people who are selling it are all freaking out as it disappears before their eyes um so that's sort of the thing there and then you know Jirachi's wish of course is that it wants to sort of go back to where it came from that cave there and it can't really do that by itself and it needs mm-hmm. the other folks but it, it that's its wish but it so maybe that doesn't quite follow with the theme of having to sort of make your own wishes come true 
But um, you, you kind of see the the idea there. So on the English side there, they definitely went with the wish aspect of of the movie and sort of making how how do you make things happen that you want. And, and you know even Butler obviously has his own wishes as misguided as they may be for the vast majority of the movie. And he's working, of course, to to make that happen uh, to near disastrous results. Um, but you yeah. sort of see that that is sort of the common theme of the movie. Yeah, and definitely like the ending sentiment, like when May realizes that her dream catcher, you know, she's not been folding it down every night and then realizes that it's better to make her own wishes come true anyway. Yeah, she misses the seventh night, which of course is when the climax yeah. of the movie is anyway, so it's like... <laughs> A little busy. <laughs> I, I, I think I should maybe just thank the... Thank the the stars or whatever that I'm still alive after all of that. Right. But, uh, I mean, there is that whole debate in the fandom of what did May wish for? You know, a lot of people think, True. well, she wanted to be like a contest star or something like that. Um, so maybe that was it. Um, but all the same, we never know. So, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, so that's sort of the direction the English one heads into. One thing that's interesting I should point out in the end credits of the English version is that you get both uh, versions of the song in there. And yeah. it starts off with the English version, which I think is probably a good idea. If it started off with the Japanese version, I think that would have been, to be, sorry to say this, maybe a turnoff for some some listeners. The interesting thing I noticed, though, is that it switches over to the Japanese version in the credits pretty much exactly where the credits switch over to the Japanese production staff. That's cool. That yeah. is, I mean, it took a lot of planning, I'm sure, and timing and stuff like that to make that work. But it's a nice little touch. It is. Now, speaking of different versions, apparently there is like a full English version of Make-A-Wish, all English lyrics, and there's some stuff that I guess isn't in there. Um, unfortunately, it has never been commercially released. It was apparently uh, played some at like some of the 10th anniversary celebrations they did, you know, obviously a little over a decade ago. But uh, someone asked about it on the old Pokemon.com mailbag they used to have, and they said, oh, there's not really any plans to release it. Sorry. Aw. That I would really, I really wish, along with a ton of other stuff from sort of like the post-second generation era, I really wish could get released commercially. And uh, since we're talking about the dual version thing, I suppose one thing we should mention is towards the end of the credits, it's, they start overlapping. They have, you know, Cindy doing the English and Asuka on the Japanese, and it's almost like a call and response thing, which is 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 uh, really fun to listen to. I think. Did you get that impression as well? Well, actually, I always thought it was Cindy recording all the Japanese lyrics because when it switches over to the second verse where it's all in Japanese, I'm 90% sure that's Cindy Menzel's voice, not Asuka's. So, like, I mean, you are the one who I think has more of the production notes than me. I honestly have no idea. I'd have to listen to it again and, and compare the versions. Hi, folks. Steven here. Sorry to interrupt the discussion, but I wanted to say I aligned the audio on the versions and the Japanese appears to sound precisely the same on both. Sorry, Anne. And and that that does not sound like Asuka to me, and it sounds a lot more like Cindy Menzel with a bit of an English accent on the Japanese words hmm. to me. But like again, I don't have the notes exactly of like who sang what where. Now the call and response, I'm not sure of. I've not listened to it closely enough to make a 
judgment call. I suppose if I wanted to really dig into it, I could well, try. If but, that really is Cindy doing the Japanese version, the English end credits, I would have to double check that. Um, it would be very impressive if it is. Extraordinarily. But I, yeah. I mean, that's certainly better than my skills at any foreign language singing. I that's know, right? <laughs> way beyond that. Yeah, I, I'm fairly certain that there's a bit of an accent there that Asuka doesn't have when she sings the track. So that's why I think it is Cindy. But I, I've not like actually looked through the notes and, you know, who is credited doing what kind of a thing. So that might be a project for our listeners because th- this song is kind of hard to find a lot of that background information on. Yeah, un- unfortunately, I'd... I, I may get a chance at some other time, but uh, I, I would. I did try, have tried various times to, to get a hold of Cindy to talk more about this, but haven't had any lucky response, unfortunately. Because this this is a song that deserves to have more documentation on it. I know it's it's just so good. <laughs> well, while I was uh, sort of pondering some of the stuff for this episode, I. I uh, made a decent number of comparisons to another English uh, ending theme, The Power of One. And one similarity is that this this uh, theme is used in the movie. It, it's a couple places. It's in the score in one or two places. Mm. And it's also the, the main characters, mostly May at first, but some of the other characters do sing it uh, or part of it. In the in the in the movie, and of course, we never hear it anywhere else in the series as a lullaby or anything like that. It's just in this movie, presumably for rights reasons. But uh, what did you think well, of them doing not that? Actually, um, well, actually, the lullaby, like we never hear any characters singing it. But uh, hang on, I've got to look it up here. Okay, yeah, there is a, an instrumental arrangement that's kind of a lullaby version and it is actually one of the most played pieces of music from a movie score and it's made several t- it's made a presence several times in the series even the dub version kind of sometimes uses it really so, i have not yeah, noticed that i kind of it, it's kind of like that uh kind of the way muse theme or like the legend comes not the legend comes to life like the the sound of like do 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 that that Muse theme has kind of makes it into a lot of the mysterious moments in the series, hmm. and they kind of reuse some of that music in, in that same way. A small thing has been used quite a few times. Hmm. Well, third generation, to be honest, as far as the anime, is a little bit of a blur to me. A because it's <laughs> it's not the very beginning, and it's not super recent. And I'll be honest, uh, May is my least favorite of the female traveling companions. We won't go into too far of a detail as to why, but um, I haven't rewatched Advanced Generation terribly recently. I think maybe the other thing going against it, I'm not as bothered by the the dub actor switch, but being that that is where it begins in season nine, maybe that's also discouraged me a bit from rewatching Battle Frontier. It is in kind of a. a- a funny place, like, yeah, there's a lot of people who advanced generation kind of occupies a strange space, even if they don't necessarily dislike it. Yeah. But yeah, like, sorry, I didn't mean to derail the whole conversation, but... Yeah, let's let's go back to its actual use in the movie, though. What did you think of them sort of incorporating it? Obviously, in the second movie, Lugia's theme is the basis for the power of one song, but it's not... Well, it's performed by Melody on the flute, but in this case, we have characters sort of singing or humming the tune. They don't use the words in the actual anime, but they, they do use the tune there. What do you think of that? I really love it. It's it's just very sweet, I think. 
yeah, like it's it's a nice little touch and like something that kind of brings the whole score together, I think, in, in being able to have the ending theme kind of, you know, make a, a reappearance in a different context. And then, and then just the, the act of the characters kind of singing themselves is, is just very touching. It's a use of music that you're right. We haven't really heard since The Power of One and Lugia's song. Yeah, this is the most integrated. I think we have the uh, sort of the ending theme in a movie aside from the dub of the second Pokemon movie. So mm-hmm. that, that's, that's definitely notable there. Although talking about the score to this movie, there's, there's not, to be honest to me, a lot else that's memorable. There is one part, and this is kind of interesting. This is the first movie that does not have an opening sequence that reuses the anime theme from that season. Uh, neither side has that. Right, yeah, nobody starts with a Pokemon battle or anything. No, they just show the uh, carnival or, or whatever uh, being put up and uh, assembled and whatnot, and that's the opening title sequence, which is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, if you've listened to it, you may know that there is actually a presence of the Japanese opening theme for that season, Advance Adventure by Garden. Now, they don't actually sing it, but an instrumental version of it is included there. And we would also hear it in the main series, including in the dub, several times over over the like uh, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth seasons. I think we would hear it periodically. Yeah. One of my favorite Japanese openings. It's really good. Um, I think uh, actually pretty much all the – most of the openings in that generation are, are pretty good on the Japanese side and the English side, I would say. Yeah. Musically, our opening and endings, like, Hoenn did very well. But yeah, Advanced Advanced Adventure is – like, that's just such an awesome song. Like, it's placement in the movie when they're kind of like having their road trip adventures – like, it just stirs those feelings in you. I kind of love it. Going back to that opening sequence, though, do you wish there had been, like, a remix version or something? There is an alternate version of Advanced Adventure that's slowed down and stuff. Um, not sure if it was originally intended for that scene. They decided not to use it or or what there, but... You know, I don't know exactly. We were talking before um, we started recording, kind of like, it, it's a very quiet movie, and... You know, I was really impressed by less by the score and more by the places of silence. And with that opening, when I first saw this movie, like I was just very struck by the quiet. Because even though there is music over them putting up the carnival, it's not that big, you know, we're going to have a movie, let's remix our opening theme sort of a feel. It, it, I don't think it would be the right sort of series of events for that to have happen. I mean, they've done yeah. sort of non-battling openings, and it can work. Like the second movie, that's not yeah. a battle sequence. That's a bunch of Pokemon that make brief appearances during Pokemon World or what would it have been in Japanese for, for the Orange Islands? I forget. Is it uh, Type Wild? Rival. Rival. Rival, thank you. Yeah. I, can, I have trouble keeping that area no, straight. No, no, it's all right. <laughs> it's very dense with a lot of music there, and I forget which ones are openings. Right. Yeah, no, I forget which one goes to which movie all the time. But yeah, yeah, I feel like for this particular movie, it was something so different for me um, in terms of a Pokemon movie and kind of in terms of children's movies in general. Like, it just opens so soft and slow I wouldn't change anything about it, I think. Like, it was so refreshing. I don't know that I necessarily think every movie should be like that, but it it did something very unique, and I quite appreciated it at the time. And I, yeah, I don't think I would want to change it and do something different. 
I suppose. I mean, certainly the um, the the score elements not as striking as the fifth movie before it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Much more reserved, which maybe brings out the ending theme more. That's that's entirely possible. That could be. I suppose that's enough, maybe about that. Now, normally in this in this part here, we sort of decide which of these we like better, which is in this <laughs> case kind of an odd thing. First of all. Like I said, same backing tune and different vocalists. We're not sure exactly about the uh, the the English side, whether it's all sung by by Cindy or if they use some of the Asuka vocals there as well. But um, in any case, do you think it sounds like this was a good idea that to, that they decided to carry this over? Is there a particular reason you think this ending theme worked? There's something about it that's so soulful and. On both sides, both the English and the Japanese. And there's an earnestness to it that, again, we talk about this movie kind of having a less impressive and bombastic score and less iconic, a lot of periods of silence and just moments where you kind of are quiet and sit in awe, whether it's where the kids are all watching the comet or, you know, the final scene before the credit starts where you're just looking over the valley and then suddenly the music hits. Like there's just a lot of moments where you're just kind of in awe of nature and life and the things that really matter, which is kind of an an undercurring theme that I felt with like the butler and Diane of like, you know, him having this great wish and her being more in tune with what really matters in life and, you know, what really will make you happy. So I kind of feel like both these songs are so soft and personal and the fact that nothing else musically in the movie outshines that I think is part of what makes it work is like you are you're just feeling very reflective and you're fearing you're feeling very open to looking at your world differently and to having a nice ballad under your credits of a movie that, you know, usually gives us something upbeat and peppy. And and maybe that's a way in which English and Japanese music are more similar, and maybe that's Mm. why this one worked. Because other than maybe the fourth movie, if they could have gotten the rights, I think they could have done something decent, but the meter is a a bit of an issue there. Although uh, I'm sure they had to make some alterations for the English uh, one here. Fifth movie, probably not a good (laughs) idea. Um, just because of the tonal qualities of that song are interesting. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about that, obviously, when we did that movie. Third movie might have worked. Second movie, probably not a good idea. First movie might have worked. And I did want to say, I'm not sure we can really definitively say one of these is better than the other, because it's kind of hard to yeah. say, just with them being in a way similar, in a way mm-hmm. kind of different. But I did want to say, within the pantheon of Pokemon movie ending themes, I would say that on the English side, this is second probably only to the power of one. It is maybe, in my mind at least, sort of up in there with We're a Miracle from the first movie um, is a sort of who's tussling for the second spot there. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the Japanese side, I would say this is probably second only to... 
together with the win from the the Japanese version of the first movie, I think that's sort of the, the what it's what it's standing behind there. At least in terms of what I've liked about the the Japanese ending themes, there are some other ones that are are pretty good in my opinion. Even even as someone who can't speak Japanese, but this one is probably right behind together with the wind on that end of it. Uh, what what do you think? I would agree with both those statements. Like they are solid good songs and. Like, I can't objectively, I think, say which that one is better than the other, but like, personally, like, I am kind of obsessed with a small thing, Chizaki Mono. Like, when I took voice lessons, this was the song I took specifically so I could sing. And so, like, I know this song, like, backwards and forwards and inside out. Like, so I've spent so many years trying to learn to play it on the piano and the guitar and to be able to sing it. So it's just such a good song. And I think, yeah, it's right behind Together with the Wind. And um, Make a Wish in English is so beautiful and, and again, just very much at the top of the list. Yeah, I, I did, when I was thinking about this, more comparisons to The Power of One. I do think this song is maybe more fun to sing than The Power <laughs> of One. Power of One is probably a better written and performed song. Maybe it's maybe this one is a little bit easier. I'm not entirely sure. Um, it definitely, like I said, is, is near the top of, of of my list in both categories on both sides of the equation. So, so good job here. I think maybe we should just leave it there rather than trying <laughs> to debate which of these is better. Let's just let's just accept that both sides got something really good this time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's like that's so special that we have a movie where like not only do we have a song that's you know right at the top but both of them together and it's a song that's a blend like to me that's just so amazing i i just like moments where the, all the sides come together and everything kind of ties and like i don't know there's something special yeah they they shouldn't try to force <laughs> that or try to write each one in japan as if it could be used on there i think that might be too limiting it's good for them to branch out every now and and then right like like to be honest you know i think even on the Japanese side, I do wonder if they, they felt this song had kind of a, a – those of them that were familiar with what the English side was doing was – did give a, a bit of a power of one vibe. Mm, I don't know. But in any case, you know, so we've sort of wrapped up our discussion there. The main song uh, and the score and whatnot from the main movie, this is one of the last movies – for a while, at least on the English side, to have a short. Uh, I think starting with movie seven, we just don't don't get one on the English side um, up until somewhere in like fifth generation. Um, and even then, those are still very separate from the main movies, even though they are produced sort of in line there. But the short for this one is called Gotta Dance, and it is definitely uh, musically themed. And much like the main movie, it does use more or less the same song on both sides. I believe on the Japanese side, the, the song is called Poko Doka. And then the English side, I believe it is called... Gotta uh, Dance. I, gotta Dance. I, I think people just kind of substitute the name of the of the short itself. It's It's been featured in the anime here and there. So what do you know about, like, the, since this was, again, produced in Japan first, what do you know about the production of this song? <laughs> Not much, really. It's it's another uh, collaboration between Hip Tanaka, Hirokazu Tanaka, and Akihito Toda. So, like, the, the people that brought us so many of the songs before, the shorts and a lot of our opening or ending themes. So, they seem to have a real niche for, like, the, the real fun, catchy songs that'll get all the kids 
excited. <laughs> oh, there's sorry. I was just looking at a, a credit for choreography here. Sorry, we can edit that out. I got distracted. Chore- choreography? Yeah, for all the Pokemon dancing. <laughs> there is a lot of that in this short. It, it's pretty entertaining, to be honest. And I think it works out well that Meowth is kind of the narrator for this, sort of explaining in, in past tense this utter disaster that occurs throughout <laughs> the course of the of the short there. It's... Um, for those of you who have never seen it, there's this uh, device in the in the movie, in the short, that is sort of this magic music maker that sort of causes Pokemon to sort of move in tune with the music. And then this, this song, uh, which, by the way, on the English side, uh, it was, which we're, like I said, calling Gotta Dance. I don't think the, the thing is ever really named in the opening or closing credits, but it was definitely, the lyrics were definitely done by Carter Cathcart. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that close to right. Uh, AKA what Jimmy Zappi is, is like his, every, which one is the real name? Which one is the stage name? He has a bunch of other stage names, I think too. He's a musician and currently he works in the TPCI dub and he does the voice of James Meowth and a couple other characters in that version of the dub. So he's still around today, still doing work in Pokemon. So I suppose that's good to hear. Um, but it, it's obviously kind of a, a silly, sort of nonsensical type song. I mean, the lyrics are intelligible and all that, but it, it's not, I would say, super deep. It's just basically, at least in English, a song about dancing, stuff like that. Uh, what about the, the Japanese lyrics? First of all, what is, where does that name come from anyway? Polka Dolka? Can you sort of explain that? Well, the song is kind of a, a bit of a, a polka. It's all written in... Uh katakana which if you're not familiar with japanese it's a it's a script that's different from the regular symbols of kanji it's it's all phonetic because it's written in that way and not in kanji with the symbols it's hard to tell what the um if there's like any punnage going on any sort of wordplay so my guess is just unless like dol dol doru refers to a japanese word oh it just made sense. Okay, sorry. Maybe maybe it refers to something involving dance. You know, some sort of performance. If it's not that, I have no idea. Because like I said, it's written in katakana. There's no way to glean extra context uh, unless you're a Japanese speaker and maybe maybe the pun is obvious. <laughs> well, gee, polka. I'm just thinking there, you know, maybe they, we talked about earlier, maybe they were kind of influenced by the second movie dub. I think we're we're headed further down <laughs> towards that line, aren't we? I hope so. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Japan. America beat you to it. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, in, in my head, they totally listened to Weird Al and were like, yes, we will also do the thing. But... <laughs> In any case, uh, although it, you just say polka there, there's actually a lot of variations of the, the main tune here in various, based on what's happening in the, in the short. There's like a Hawaiian version. There's a couple other versions, um, in there. It's kind of interesting the way they sort of tweak the melody throughout the short there based on whatever part or whatever sort of, uh, surroundings they happen to have there. That, that's, uh, it, it must be, you know, not every, every tune can do that. Yeah, so, like, yeah, musically, it's a very interesting song. It, it doesn't have a lot of deep meaning or anything, but it's 
very clever. They they clearly had a lot of fun working on this. Yeah, I do like the and I do like the animation on this uh, as as well. Uh, I like seeing Trico being resistant to dancing at first, and eventually he. he <laughs> It just, he, I don't know if, if Trico's gender is ever explicitly called out in the anime, but it's it sort of just, uh, odds are it's a male. It sort of just eventually just can't, can't resist anymore and it starts going all over the place. <laughs> That's one of the things I definitely remember. And of course we get the, not, not, uh, Loud Red, not Expo Loud. Uh, Loud Red comes in and then Ludicolo. It's, <laughs> to be honest, kind of farcical as this short, but it's, it, it's it's got uh, style and it's it's got heart. I'll I'll give it that. Yeah, there's definitely a, some passion behind this. <laughs> and so if I ever get a chance to, uh, you know, Jimmy or or Carter, whatever name he he goes by, if I ever get a chance, I will definitely ask him about his work on this one. I can tell you that much. But um, uh, it's really not the not the deepest song in the history of the of the anime or anything like that. But it's fun to listen to on a lark. I think maybe it hasn't aged. I mean, it's obviously never going to age as well as Make a Wish, but I, I kind of like it. It's it's more fun, I think, for its use in the short than just listening to it as music, maybe. Yeah, and definitely it is skewed towards a, a younger audience that kind of just wants to, like, you know, clap their hands and sing along and, and have a good laugh. So, you, yeah, you definitely can't, judge it on the same standards that we judge the ending themes. <laughs> so that, that that more or less covers, I think, all of that. Uh, like I said, as with the main theme, I don't think we can really do a, which one is better. I, I think we got about what we wanted from, from, from this one as well, regardless of which side of the ocean you were on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever version you grew up watching or, or discovered first, you probably had a really good time regardless, so th there's really no sense <laughs> splitting hairs over that song, yeah. Yeah, they could have gone for a more direct translation of both of these, but I think what we got was, was definitely worth it and, and mm -hmm. shows good effort on both of these, so uh, not too much to complain about there, I would say. Yeah. All right, well, having wrapped up Movie 6, of course, our next episode is going to be Movie 7, uh, Destiny Deoxys. And, uh, Anne, I, I think you, you, you want to give this a shot. The Japanese name is incredibly long. You want to try it out? Um, you know what? I will. It's Reku no Homonsha Deoxys. It, it's, it's not actually as long as it looks. It's just a lot of symbols and, <laughs> and katakana. But it translates to, uh, like, Okay, if we're going to do it fully, it's Pokemon Monsters Advanced Generation, the movie, Sky-Splitting Visitor Deoxys. Because so, they won't let you do it without the entire Advanced Generation preamble. <laughs> well, they still use, like, Pokemon the movie XY in, in the Japanese titles, the more recent ones. So. That's true, yeah. But as far as music goes, so this one has two very different songs. One of them, on the Japanese side, we have Tommy February 6th with Lovely Boy, with a lot of initializations there. And if you didn't get enough 80s in our NXS episode, well, I think you're going to get you, get you um, <laughs> satisfied with this one. Um, and then on the English side, we have Bree Sharp with This Side of Paradise. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a very interesting discussion. I already have a pretty good idea of which of those is going to come out on top, but I think we're still going to have some... Some stuff to talk about there. But uh, until then, Anne, thank you very much for being on. Oh, thank you for having me. This has been Stephen Reich from the Poker Press Studios in Madison, Wisconsin. 
on the phone with Anne discussing the ending themes of the sixth Pokemon movie. Hi, I'm Stephen Reich here at the Indiana Convention Center in Indianapolis, Indiana at the Pokemon North American International Championship 2017. I'm here with Reagan Retzloff, who is the winner of the TCG event in the Juniors Division. And Reagan, we just have a few questions. Uh, first off, where are you from and how did you get into Pokemon? I'm from F Cape Coral, Florida in the USA. And I got into Pokemon, so I started collecting the cards. And then um, my mom's friend on Facebook saw that her... Um, son was in, at a Pokemon tournament so my mom texted to her like where do you start in that and she said just go to a local league and so that's how I started. Yeah that's the way uh, a lot of folks get started you can definitely if you know where to look on the Pokemon website it's not the easiest to find you can find a little league locator there and find a league in your area so that's a great way to get started. So for this particular tournament you played a deck commonly known as Rainbow Road. It uses Xerneas and a whole bunch of different types of Pokemon in there. Why did you choose that deck for this tournament? Um, my friend came to my house a while so we can test. So um, he brought Rainbow Road. We tested that. I didn't think it was that good, but when we started testing, I thought it was good. So I built it. He helped me. And so, yeah, that's how I picked Rainbow Road. Just a, a deck that really grabbed you then, huh? Yeah. All right. Well, we talked about Xerneas. What are some of the other Pokemon in the deck that are important? Your goal is to get as many types on your bench as, as you can. What are some of the ones you picked out? Volcanion and Garvantula. Since they're dual types, they count as two types, so that's 60 more damage. Yeah, big, big, very important point there. They, they, they don't do that too often where they have multiple types there, but uh, they, do, they do have that. All right, well, let's, let's talk about the finals. I'm sure a lot of the folks at home uh, watched that when it was uh, streamed online. Uh, you were paired against a guy. He was using a Greninja deck, uh, which is, you know, obviously a water-based deck. Uh, what was kind of your overall strategy for that matchup going into it? Um, since I won first, I won a coin flip. I try. I hope he start Talonflame. Um, so Garvantula is a double threat, do 30 to two of your benched. So if he starts Talonflame bench two Froakies, I can double threat and knock out both Froakies. So that's why I did second game. Yeah, yeah. The first game didn't work out perfectly. You got a very slow start. You did, weren't getting things, just weren't coming together. Second game, you dominated that. Of course, uh, your opponent also had, had that problem the second round. He didn't get a very good start. Third game was definitely more of, a, I would say, a horse race. You were ahead for the whole game, but uh, the other guy made you work for it. How did that play out? Um, like, so since I kept on hitting my EXP shares and my max elixirs and all that, like, I kept on one-hitting him, and he had to hit energies to knock me out. Since, um, Moonlight Slash doesn't knock me out, he has to hit a giant war shriek, and with that, so I was trying to hex him so he couldn't one-hit me. Yeah, that's a big strategy. You mentioned Max Elixir there. It's a very key card to get that energy acceleration so you can keep uh, piling on those Xerneases because they do take three energy to attack, which is not insignificant. All right, well, thank you very much, Reagan. This has been Steven Reich at the North American International Championships 2017. Hi, I'm Steven Reich here at the 
Indiana Convention Center in Indianapolis, Indiana at the North American Pokemon International Championship 2017. I'm here with Torrid Reklev, who is the winner in the Masters Division of the Trading Card Game Competition. And Torrid, we just have a few questions. First off, you're from Europe. You're actually specifically from Norway. Uh, well, what part of Norway are you from? I live in Trondheim, but I'm originally from Oslo. And Trondheim is a um, small city in like the middle of Norway. Gotcha there. How'd you get into Pokemon? I actually played the video games first, and I went to an event to download the DXs, and I saw people playing the trading card game, and I knew the trading card game from when I was little, my mother taught me, but I didn't know people played it competitively. So uh, we got into that, and then we just started to go to events and playing ever since. Your mother actually taught you how to play when you were very little. That's neat. You must have a very patient mother. Yeah, my mother's awesome. <laughs> That's great. All right, well, for this tournament, you decided to play a, uh, a, a Garboder-based deck. You actually used two different Garboder. You also used one of the new uh, GX uh, Drampa uh, Pokemon. Uh, Why did you pick that deck for this tournament? Because it was the most consistent deck you can play in this format. It doesn't take many cards or combos to pull off big damage, and you basically have an answer for everything in every matchup. So that's why I chose the deck. Well, you definitely proved that with uh, winning the tournament today. All right, let's talk about the finals then. Uh, I'm sure the folks at home had, they had an opportunity to see that. If not, of course, it is available online. You were paired against a Decidueye GX deck uh, that also ran Vileplume. Very popular combination. What was sort of your overall strategy for that matchup? I tried to target his attackers. Like, when he attached energy to Pokemon, I will try to immediately do damage to it. So if it adds to the Sidoi, I will try to Lysander it and uh, start um, setting up damage so I can KO it the next turn. So he will always be one turn behind um, because his attackers need the two energy to do much. Uh, so that was the overall game plan. I also tried to get Garbodor in play, seeing as he's only playing one field blower. Uh, the list was posted by Pokemon.com yesterday. So I knew his whole 60 cards. I knew he only played one field blower. So... I try to go for Garbodor as early as possible to just shut off his whole deck. Yeah, that is something they've been doing is publishing that. And yeah, Field Blower is obviously the one uh, thing he has against your the Garbotoxin Garbodor, not the attacking one with Trash Avalanche. If you were to use this deck again, anything you might change or adjust? No, I think my 60 card was just perfect. They all work really well together and everything just, yeah. I drew really well through the whole tournament. I don't think I would change anything. All right. Well, you finished first here, which means you have definitely an invite. You've actually finished very well this season, so I'm sure you're in very much a, a good running for day two at Worlds, which is next month. Uh, what are you looking forward to there? I'm looking forward to playing a new format. I played this format a lot, like played hundreds of games with my deck, so I came really prepared. So I'm looking forward to test a new set, test new decks. I think that's really fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, you know, after a certain amount of time, you kind of want something new to come along. All right. Thank you very much, Tord. This has been Stephen Reich from the Indiana Convention Center in Indianapolis, Indiana, at the Pokemon North American Internationals 2017. Thanks for listening to the PokePress Digest podcast. We'd appreciate if you rate or review us on your podcast app of choice. 
If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at pokepress on Twitter. One thing we should definitely mention with a small thing is that it does actually have a music video and, and kind of in a uh, don't say you love me type of situation, there's two versions of it. Now, if you have the original Wishmaker DVD from back in the day, the newer versions won't have this or the short for that matter, but it, it has the, the Pokemon version of that music video. And why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about the, the regular version you were able to find? Um, okay, and I'm going to link to this in the show notes, definitely, because I'm so happy I found this. I've been looking for it for years, and I don't know why it just suddenly appeared in my Google search. But it opens up with uh, a young girl and her mother, and they're talking, and then over time, the footage is in black and white, and we see the singer, Asuka, in her beautiful white dress, and she's sitting in a theater, and it, she's watching like old videos of presumably herself, of this little girl and her mother, the grainy black and white footage. And then in time, she takes the stage in, you know, the the dress that you see if you watched the DVD version, the Pokemon version. And she she's singing with all the light coming off of her. And it's intercut with the old black and white footage of this little girl and, you know, making up fantasy worlds and, and waving a little toy wand and it, and it changes her the color of her dress and it, it brings her a cake and, and happy times spent with her mother and just, you know, kind of that little girl going through life and learning to love the things around her and overcome her fears and all, all the things that little girls do. But that small thing grows up into this, this strong woman who's singing very passionately on stage with, you know, all the violinists and everything. So it's really very beautiful. Yeah. And, and some of that footage definitely made it into the, what's called the, I guess the Pokemon version where they took a lot of scenes from the movie. I have no idea if this video was produced on the Japan side first, or if it was something that four kids did on their own. To be honest, I don't think the, the movie footage is edited in especially well. Um, to be honest, it kind of violates a few, quote-unquote, I guess you could say, rules of AMVs <laughs> uh, in yeah. terms of, like, characters' mouths moving that's not in time with the music and stuff like that and and, and things like that. So I'm not saying it's super spectacular. And, and to be honest, the part that we do get to see, I guess, from the original video has this weird kind of shimmering effect on Asuka's like, dress is all reflective and stuff like that. And to be honest, I didn't think that it aged terribly well um, <laughs> as, as, as part of the music video. So, you know, it, it's nice that it's there. It's always, I wish they would do more of these. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of the, like, the can't stop catching them all music video. I, I kind of had to turn that one off, unfortunately, even though the song is, is relatively okay. But, um, I would like to see more of these, and I guess it's worth certainly something we should note in here. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have much to say beyond that. It's just, I would agree with you, like, the Pokemon parts of the music video that was on, you know, the original DVD were always the parts I kind of wanted to skip over, because like you say, it's just, it, it's, they're edited into strange parts, they're... They they don't really seem to be going with the lyrics or the general flow of the music. So you're just kind of like, whatever. It just seems to be something to fill the space from all the 
the parts where it's not her singing. I suppose something like that, perhaps. I mean, that may have been what it was. Yeah. You know, it's not awful by any means, but it's not up to the standards we would see with, like, the, the poke rap or with the, the karaoke mon type videos they would do. I don't think it's quite up there. It's certainly not as impressive as uh, before the fourth movie, and sometimes on Kids TV, they'd show this video for something called Master Pokemon, which mm. was this, this very interestingly produced video. And uh, it it's, doesn't have uh, that either. So kind of too bad, kind of maybe a missed opportunity, but mm, I'm not going to knock it for existing. Yeah, it's. I, I do think the full version, um, I guess I guess we, we, we should call it the original, I'm going to link to it because I do think it's worth watching. It's I think it's quite cute, and I'm not quite as uh, against the shimmery effect as you are, I think. I still kind of like it, so <laughs> well, you can well, all judge for yourselves. <laughs> I suppose so. I love a good light show, so... 